thank you again for, uh, for being here and for worshiping with us. Um, we're going to hear from a couple of our folks who went to Ecuador this past winter. Um, they're going to come and they're going to share uh, their testimonies of what the Lord has done in their lives. Um, it, it, Sandra Choi here right now? Um, oh, there she is. Okay, Sandra's going to come first, and then uh, after her, uh, Paul's going to come. So let's welcome, uh, let's welcome her as she comes up. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Sandra, and I'm just going to read from the paper I have. So when I first heard of plans to go to Ecuador in the winter, I thought of all the reasons why I probably couldn't and shouldn't go. I thought, I don't know what I'll be doing then. I don't have the money to go. I can't commit the time or energy for the meetings. But most importantly, I assumed that it would not benefit the team or the people of Ecuador for me specifically to go. Um, I did not have any specific gifts or talents to contribute to the trip. I didn't think I would make any difference. However, I still felt like God wanted me to go on this trip. And after thinking about it over and over again, I finally just decided to take the plunge. After I made the commitment to go, I started wondering what I had gotten myself into. I worried about my inadequacies as a strong Christian. I had never been on a mission trip before and only heard through word of mouth of the difficulties and tribulations that were probably coming the heat, the mosquitoes, the sickness, and the suffering. To top it off, prior trips to Ecuador indicated that the Kofan people specifically were not a friendly, open bunch. Um, They were described to us as a weary and reluctant group, closed off against um, strangers. And I thought to myself, could we really make a difference to these people in such a short amount of time? I thought it was going to take such ardent effort to reach out to them and make them comfortable with us, but I was wrong. When we got there, the children were all excited to see us and take part in all the ministries we prepared. They were so happy with um, the simple efforts and gifts that we brought for them. Who would have thought that painting a little girl's nails would get them to converse so easily with us? We had originally brought them for ourselves to help pass the downtime, and yet God used this random act to bring us closer to the Kofan women and children. Um, Much like the stereotypical environment of a nail salon, there was a lot of laughter as I sat there listening to the girls' chatter and sometimes joined in when I could understand what was being said. Seeing the people of Cabano praising God with such ardor and earnestness was both unnerving and inspiring. A little Ecuadorian girl came during worship to sit next to me. She wedged herself next to me in the middle of our group, and I thought to myself, what a gutsy little girl. I know I probably would not have the courage to approach a group of strangers and sit amongst them. Um, During praise, she sang so sweetly and loudly that I could scarcely hear my own voice. Her her enthusiasm was infectious. She grabbed the two tambourines that were laying in the front of the room and handed me one. Unable to contain her joy and excitement for God, she indicated that I should play along. Um, Seeing her put me to shame and made me want to change the way that I praise God. I remember before and during the trip, I kept praying, expecting there to be an awesome moment where God would just touch my heart in an earth-shattering kind of way. But looking back, I realized that God was with us the entire time. In a quiet, undeniable, ever-present kind of way, God blessed us so much on this trip. During the trip, I did not once worry about my inadequacies and realized that all that matters is your heart and desire to serve God, and He takes care of the rest. There were so many things that could have gone wrong, yet everything was perfect. As earlier team members expressed, um, 
The weather was great. There was easy travel with no delays. Um, we had a positive, cohesive, supportive team, and there was no sickness. Everything that could have gone wrong didn't. This just solidified my belief that we were where God wanted us to be. I thought that we would leave behind so much for the people in Ecuador, but it was me who came back overflowing with the blessings of God's grace and love through the Ecuadorian people. Um, although I did not know Joshua well, our families have known each other for a long time, and I knew him when he was a child. I only got to spend a few short months getting to know him after he had grown up, but in those short months, I was able to see what a pure heart and longing Joshua had for God. After going through a terrible experience of loss myself, I felt drawn to this specific trip because I, trip because I could sympathize and identify with what it feels like to lose someone. Being so close to death instills a realization in you of finality. It makes me want to spend my life living for a purpose and a greater cause. Instead of working incessantly for frivolous frills and instant gratification in this life, I too want to end well as Joshua did. What, after all, is more important than saving a person's life? Not even just his physical life, but his eternal one. Although we are individually meek and small, we must have faith that God will make up for the areas where we fall short, because we will always fall short one way or another. I thank you all for keeping myself and our team in your prayers and supporting us, and want to urge all of you to consider going to do mission work as well. I can stand up here and try to explain in words all the bountiful different ways in which God spoke to me on this trip, but there's no better way to understand the joy and blessings that we received than to just go on missions yourself. That's it. Thank you. All right, this is my uh, testimony of what God has been doing in our team and in my heart in Ecuador. The reason why I signed up for the 2011 Winter Ecuador Mission Trip ultimately boiled down to two simple statements. The first being Jesus calls us to go, but we hardly listen. If we truly trust in the Lord and we examine our reasons for not going, most of them are going to be excuses, to tell you the truth. At least in my life, they were. The second reasoning was to see what previous teams had started and to see what Tico's heart was longing so much for. So with a conviction to go to Ecuador, I signed up. To my surprise, most of the people in Ecuador were very responsive and were eager to know more about Jesus. As this was being my first trip to Ecuador, um, I could only attribute this to what God has been doing in our commitment to these people and in Tico's passing. On the 21st of December, a memorial service was held for Josh at the church in Cabano. And people groups from all over were represented there in that tiny church. Also, to my amazement, while we've been away, God has and continues to move in the hearts of the people there. Um, if you guys know a Pastor Jose Mejia, um, he, as well as many others, have said on multiple occasions that Tico's passing was so near and dear to their hearts that they have been and continue to go through much mourning and sadness. But one thing that the Ecuador church emphasized was that we are one body in Christ, a family, and that they are in deep prayer for our church as well. To see God's kingdom being built in a situation of immense sadness was truly joyful and praiseworthy. God truly does work for the good of those who love him. God's hand could also be seen in Sinangwe, where the people's reactions to us were night and day compared to previous trips. They were very responsive and enjoyed all the VBS crafts, skits, taekwondo, and haircutting, uh, among other things. Uh, on many instances, 
I was scared for my life with these strong co-fund people kicking at me. But it was awesome to see that these ministries could open up their hearts to hear the gospel and further deepen our relationships. As we are now back from Ecuador, I want to thank all the people who sent. Answered prayers were abundant. Weather was always beautiful. It rained just enough to keep it cool but not overflow the river to Sinangue. Our team was in good health and spirits, and people's hearts were opened. A major prayer, though, answered through a man named Gonzalo. Um, long story short, he is going to partner with Tico's father, KJ, uh, in his goat ministry long term. Um, he helped resolve many logistical and practical issues with this ministry. In light of the team's return, please continue to pray for Joseph and his parents, that the peace and love of Jesus Christ would overflow their cups, and that God would give them the grace and strength to do what he has placed in their hearts. Pray that the Holy Spirit continues to minister to them, as well as the Ecuadorians, and that leaders from the local churches would rise up to be a generation that changes their nation. During the months leading up to and now after the trip, I can say without a doubt that God is moving mountains and building his kingdom in Ecuador. Before I went to Ecuador, my prayer was this, that God would place a deep calling for our church to partner with the Ecuadorians in long-term missions, visions, and deep-running relationships that exemplify Christ's relationship with us. After witnessing just a little of what God has in store for them, I'm looking forward to many future trips. There are a lot of needs to be met in not just the church in Ecuador, but in the lives of the people there. They need the way, the truth, and the life. Our fellow brothers and sisters need to know that they are not in this race alone. One lesson that I learned was that God will use the talents that he's gifted us with in order to build his kingdom there. And literally, any talent can be used for his glory. I also urge the previous Ecuador trip members to go to this uh, this upcoming trip this summer. Um, I believe that going back to Ecuador is a critical part of the healing process for all of us. Lastly, I want to challenge those that haven't gone before. There is never an opportune time to go on missions. When Jesus says go, he means go. I strongly urge that as fellow believers, we would grow a heart to visit this place where God wants our church to be. And as you go, Ecuador will go from being someplace far away in the back of your mind to a place where there are real people, real faces, and real pressing needs. As we continue to go to Ecuador, allow the call of Christ to move your hearts to missions. Go. See what God has in store for his children there. See the ways in which God is stirring up their hearts for him. It is a huge privilege to go to missions that Jesus considers us faithful enough to entrust us with his reputation and his kingdom-building process. Freely we've received. Now freely we will give. Let's listen to the Holy Spirit's calling and go and send for his glory. Thank you. Thanks, guys, for um, sharing the work that God's doing in your lives um, with us, um, what he's doing in Ecuador with us as well. Um, I think a lot of what they, uh, a lot of what they shared is uh, stuff that I was going to share today, so take it as a review if you hear it, uh, as you hear it this time. Um, because of a lot of stuff that's been going on in, in our lives and yeah, in, in our lives recently, uh, I've been thinking a lot about uh, just Judgment Day, <laughs> um, just standing before God on that last day and, and what that will be like. And, and these two recurring thoughts have been uh, kind of reverberating in my mind for the past couple months here. Um, it, it's come as a you know, combination of a lot of factors. One, you know, having people pass away and thinking about their lives and thinking about their legacies and thinking about my life. 
Uh, also, some of the things that I'm reading are, are all kind of aligning in such a way that, um, yeah, my thoughts have been turned towards that day. And one of the things that, a um, couple of the things that I'm, uh, I'm led to think about, um, the first one is I, I fear that when I stand before God, uh, one of my fears is that, and, and I'm not, this is not original, I'm, I heard this from someone else, but one of my fears is that as I stand before God that he would say, you know what, uh, you're not who everybody thought you were. You know, I, I, I fear that um, there's a certain st- kind of thing that I do on the outside that doesn't match up with who I am on the inside. And I, I fight every day to try and allow the inside of me and the outside of me to catch up and to be intertwined, to be a, uh, to be a person who is who's one, who's united, who's uh, filled with integrity. That's my desire. And I don't want to stand before God on the end and, and he say, you know, David, you weren't the person that everybody thought you were. That's one of the things that I've been thinking about as I consider Judgment Day. The other thing I think about is that I need to be preparing a people to stand before God on Judgment Day also. And I think that means a couple of things. One, I think it means that for every one of us who will stand before God on Judgment Day, it would be an eternal tragedy if anyone thought that they could stand before God and think they're going to heaven, but they're not. Because they went to church, because they did the right things, because they went to retreat, because they cried during a song or whatever it might be. And that, that's, that's challenging to me because I don't want any who are here to not be in heaven. That, that literally scares the hell out of me. And the other part of that is that as you stand before God, if you're a blood-bought child of God, that my other fear would be that when you stand before God, that you would have these fears and these regrets saying, I wasted all that you've given to me. I wasted the years of my life, and I didn't make the most of it. And so I feel challenged, and I feel convicted that, that perhaps um, there's more to what I'm supposed to be doing than being okay having people sit and listen to me, because there's got to be so much more than that. And to be okay with having people fill these seats and to give a certain number of offerings and to think that that's okay just doing that. I think to a certain level, my heart is convicted to feel like there are certain things that, that, that maybe if for the sake of unpopularity need to be said for the sake of your soul, um, that's what I've been, been really convicted of lately. And what does it mean to really speak the truth out of a love for the souls of the people who I'm walking with? These are some of the things that cycle through my mind as I think about Judgment Day. I don't want any of us to say at the end of it all that my life wasn't what it should have been. It wasn't what it could have been, that I wasted it, that I I went through and I thought that I was a child of God, but I wasn't. And I don't want that to be any of our story. And so in order to take baby steps one step at a time, I want to talk about how we can live this year so that we don't waste our 2012 First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, um, it's a simple verse, and if you are at uh, Elder Yu's memorial service, a farewell service, you heard it. I'm just going to read from one verse here and just share a few thoughts 
that I think might be helpful for us as we seek to live this year in a way that would honor the Lord God. Verse 58, chapter 15. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's God's word. This last verse, this last sentence, the last phrase says, you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And my desire is that all of us would live in such a way that we would say that my life was not in vain. My work was not in vain. My labor was not in vain. My hours, my years, my months uh, were not spent in vain. How do we do that? I think there's a, a couple things that we see here and from other passages in Scripture. But the first thing that I want to kind of um, bring out here is that in order for us to make the most of it, we need to align our lives with God's priorities, okay? to align our lives with God's priorities. We all live by a certain set of priorities, right? We all live by a certain set of things that are important to us. And if, if someone were to look at your life and you were to look at your life and say, if there's one thing that based on your life, people would say, there's one thing that this person's life is about, the singular call of this person's life, the singular priority, the one thing that drives their life is this one thing. What would that thing be? For some, it would be family. Perhaps for others, it may be fame or money, success, comfort, status, relationships, the applause of people, the comfort of man. I don't know what that thing would be, but if if we're living for anything other than the priority of God. Then I would say that as eternal people, I think Jesus would say as eternal people that we're living for the wrong things and our lives are being wasted. Okay, it's not, okay, so it's not to say that money and, and, and all this stuff, family and, and relationships are, are bad things. If they're not, we never say these are bad things. But when they become elevated in which, to which that becomes ultimate, then that's become a priority in our lives and we're living on misplaced priorities. And, and, and the only thing, the one thing Jesus says here, the, that Paul says here, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. When we align our lives with the priorities of God, that's when we begin to live a life that really makes a difference, that really matters at the end of the day and at the end of the world. Okay, a life that's lived according to the priorities of God. Jesus says in John chapter 5, I think it's verse uh, 17, 18, 12, 13, something like that. Um, this is like basic, baseline experiencing God, is that God is always working in our world. He's constantly at work in our world. And in order for us to experience him, we need to put ourselves in line with and join God in the work that he's doing. That's what Jesus did. So much, so many needs in the world, but he saw where his father was working. He aligned his life with the priorities of God and he got involved in that. And because of that, after just 33 short years, he could say, I'm done. It's done. I did it. I finished. I completed it and I did it well. See, when we align our lives according to the priorities of God, that's when we begin to live a life that really matters in this life as well as in the life to come. So so often we we get sidetracked and we get distracted because we think Christianity is one thing other than what God really says it is. Say my wife Olivia says to me, hey, you know what? Uh, Just a reminder, uh, my birthday's coming up January 31st. You know, hey, uh, uh, my birthday, yeah, yeah. And so I say, okay, you know, Olive, I, I know, I know. And so I say to her, what would you like for me to do on your birthday? She's like, I don't want anything big. I don't want anything big. I just want maybe if um, we could go out to dinner, my favorite, favorite restaurant. And we can go to 
Golden Corral, and that would be my delight. And so I would say to her, okay, Olive, that's cool. That's cool. And, and from this point on, January 8th until January 31st, here I go. I'm, I'm feverishly trying to make this the best, the most memorable birthday. And so I, I, I get all of my buddies together. I say, hey, guys, uh, all this birthday is coming up, you know. And we're going we're gonna to go to Ale House, and we're going to watch the, the football game because I think a Super Bowl might be around that time. We're going to watch the Super Bowl. And I'm going <coughs> to order all this, like, really good stuff that – um, that, I, that I like. I'm going to order like buffalo wings and I'm going to order uh, chicken nachos and Captain Jack's Buried Treasure, all this good stuff. I'm going to all have it. And we're so excited. I'm telling all these people, I'm handwriting these invitations, inviting all of you guys to come. January 31st, it's happening. Okay? So I'm inviting everyone to come. And, and then January 31st rolls around and Olive is so excited. And she's like, oh, you know, I can't wait. I can't wait to go to Golden Corral. And then I, I take her and then right next to Golden Corral is the Orlando Ale House and, and all these cars are and all these people are there and they say, surprise. And and Olive's like, w- w- what are all these people doing? And I said, they're here to celebrate. It's your birthday. It's your birthday. Look, we've all got our football jerseys on. We're going to watch the Super Bowl. I ordered all this food that I like. And, and, and what do you think she would say? She would probably say something like, well, I thought I told you what I wanted you to do. I said, oh, you know, you you say that stuff, but I know you're you're just exaggerating. You don't really mean it when you say that. I know this is what you really want. She's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I want. That's what you want. You don't really love me. You love yourself. That's why you did that, didn't you? And I would have to say that perhaps there's a little bit of me that didn't really take seriously what you said because I don't really love you the way that I think and the way that you think I love you. Okay, this wouldn't wouldn't really happen, but that's what I'm saying. But isn't that what we do when it comes to our relationship with God? Like, How much clearer can he be than for him, for him to make clear to us what his priorities are? These things matter in life. The lost matter to me. Missions matters to me. My glory amongst the nations matters to me. Go! And we say, well, he didn't really mean that. He didn't really mean go. When he meant go, what he really meant was just sit on your butt and do nothing. That's what he meant. And we say, yeah, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's why when people come back and they share these stories, that there's no part in my heart that rejoices because there's no part in me that joined God in the work that he was doing. I don't know, man. This is like, I was reading this book by, by, by a guy named David Platt. And that's what he says. He's like, you know what? Here's what we think that we think the gospel is like Jesus died and he, because he loves me. And that's it. And when that's all it is, then how could it, Christian, be anything other than what I can receive from it? How can it be anything other than what I can be, uh, what I can receive from, from Christ? Has nothing to do with pushing me out of my comfort zone, nothing to do with me going out into the world to take the gospel. Here's the gospel. It's you have been saved so that you can call other people to see and delight in the glory of God just as you have. That's the full gospel. That Jesus is building a kingdom and it's not just about you being the sole person in the kingdom. See, when our priorities are misaligned, that's when we begin to look at the end of our lives and say, you know what? I wasted it. I wasted it. It wasn't, I didn't live according to the way that I was meant to live. And I knew that there was something more. I knew that there was something more. To see how God is working and to align our lives with it, to know that your labor in the Lord, this is what's not in vain. This is what lasts for eternity. This is what caused us to not waste our lives. 
for us to say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go into, I'm going to get into that. We, like Paul said, we make so many excuses. And what we do when we water down, oh, he didn't really mean to love our enemies. He didn't really mean that. Yeah, he just said that as like an example of the extreme level of faith, not just the basic level for you and me. That's for the people who are like the monks, the Mother Teresas, the nuns, the people who live with Jesus all the time. It's not for regular people like us. And what we do is we take Jesus and we cast him into our own image. An image that is only there for our comfort and for our satisfaction and for our pleasure. And when we do, that's when we begin to live a life that really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, a kind of life where we stand before God and say, you know what, God, I didn't give you everything that I needed to give. A life filled with regrets. I, why can't you go? I, why can't you go? Just set aside the time. Do something for the sake of the lost. Do something for the sake of the nations. I, we're so comfortable where we are because we've made it about me. We've made it all about ourselves. And we sit in these cushioned chairs and, and there's no cost to our lives, no cost to our Christianity, no cost to us living for Jesus. Yeah, okay, mate. Oh, my gosh, I've got to go to a house church meeting when I could be having a romantic dinner with that, whoever it is. And that's the cross that we bear. Jesus says to go, and I think when we live in the midst of our comfortability, that's why we don't see the power of God at work in our lives. When we align ourselves with the priorities of God, we're aligning ourselves with the flow of the power of God. When's the last time you stepped out of your comfort zone? Because I'll tell you, that's probably the last time you witnessed the power of God in your life. Let me say it the other way. When's the last time you experienced the power of God in your life? It's probably the last time you stepped out of your comfort zone. We talk about not wasting our lives. I was reading uh, a section in a book called Don't Waste Your Cancer. Two men with cancer talking about how God can be honored in their cancer. And he talks about how in all of our suffering, we can either waste it or we can allow God to use it and to redeem it. And I think about what, is it, what does it mean for us to think about Joshua's life, to think about Tico's life, and what does it mean for us to not waste that? It would be a tragedy if we treat sin the same way that we treat sin before and after. You get what I'm saying? It would be a tragedy for, tragedy for us to think about God the same way before and after, for us to live the same way we do before and after. That would be a waste, not of his life, but of his death and the message that maybe is trying to be spoken to us as a result. What would it look like for us to radically align our priorities with the priorities of God and to align our lives to that? And instead of thinking, oh, it's, it's all about my life and about my comforts. Oh, my gosh, why do you have service at 1030 in the morning? That's so early. Jesus says that you will judge that tree by that fruit. And if there's no fruit of a changed life outside of the fact that, yeah, now I used to not go to church, but now I go to church. Therefore, I'm a Christian. Jesus never said that. Unless there is evidence of a transformed life and of a, of, of a work of Christ in your life where from the inside out you're not the same, I don't want any of us to be fooled into thinking that because you're sitting here that you're going to be standing before God in heaven and he'll say enter into glory if that's not really the case. I, 
You know, I don't think I'm afraid to scare you into heaven, to scare you out of hell, because I don't think Jesus did. He was constantly talking about hell and of its, of its, of its torment. And he was pushing people because he said, unless you see the bad news, then you will never see the good news that there's a God of grace who gave everything so that you can make your way into heaven because of nothing that you did, because of nothing that you do, but believe in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And how do we not waste this year? We have to radically align our lives according to the priorities of God. That's the first thing that we see. Second thing then, the second thing that we have to understand as we... As we get, as we gather here, is that we have to know that God never forgets, never wastes anything that we do for Him. God never wastes anything that we do for Him. You know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, we don't do it well, we don't do it right. But he never wastes it. He never throws it away. He never forgets it. Hanging on my wall in my office is a beautiful picture here. Um, this is a picture um, that my daughter drew for me. Right? So she comes into church sometimes, and she plays, and she asked for markers one day. Well, she didn't ask. I gave it to her. And she started, like, scribbling, and then she finished, and she, she came up to me, and she said, Daddy, Appa, and she brought it with, like, this big smile on her face, and I looked at it, and I was like, wow, you know, this is amazing, the butterflies and the trees and the dinosaurs that are here. This is, like, the greatest picture I've ever seen in my life, and she was so delighted, and even though none of you can recognize these things in it, I don't think I'll throw this away because it's something that she did for me. You want to make sure that your life isn't wasted. And nothing that you ever do for God is wasted. He never wastes a thing. He never forgets a thing. He never throws any of that away. You know, when we went to Ecuador four years ago, three and a half years ago, there was part of me, honestly, there was part of me that said, you know what? There's no dramatic stories this year. Like, what are we going to tell that's going to wow our congregation into thinking that, yeah, you did a great job. We couldn't even go over the river to see the people that we wanted to see the second time. We just saw them waving from the top of the hill. Like, what stories are there to tell? And, and as I'm thinking about it three and a half years later, I wouldn't for a moment now doubt that any of that stuff was seen by God and delighted in by God and that he used that, that he didn't waste any of that stuff. And he's building his church, and he's building believers, and he's raising up an army in that people of Ecuador. And we, those who came up and shared, beginning to see that, that we stand on the progressive shoulders of those who've gone before us because God never wastes any of that stuff. I think, you know, I'm, the, I'm, I'm pretty impatient. I want to see things right away. I want to see fruit right away. I want to see mo- movement and, and all this stuff right away. But God doesn't let me see that too often. And as I was thinking about and just reflecting on this part that God never wastes anything. We, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I was, I was thinking back about some of the people during the days of my college experience when I was serving and, and, and meeting with people and, and leading Bible studies for them and encouraging them and, and helping them to grow in their faith. And so many times there'd be people who just felt like, I just felt like God isn't remembering this stuff. And then after 
uh, some period of time looking back into begin to realize that, yeah, God never wasted any of that stuff. I think of, I mean, they're simple people. Pastor Goose, you think about that when um, you, know, you see him now, he's pastoring and doing well, but you should have seen him when he was his first year in college. All the, man, crazy stuff that he was doing. To God, where is this guy? What's up with this guy? Is it, uh, another guy, uh, another guy, Pastor Kevin, uh, Pastor Kevin, just first year. Uh, he's, he's now out in, in, in Menlo Park, far exceeding, doing far greater things than I would ever imagine myself even doing. Just gaining a, a worldwide audience and doing amazing things for the kingdom of God. People like a guy named Pastor Bobby who came in when I was, when I was a, a junior and really, uh, just really thirsting and hungering to grow and seeing these people grow up and giving their lives to the ministry and realizing that our labor in the Lord is never in vain. It's never in vain. That God doesn't waste any of that stuff. But then I was thinking and I was reflecting, and there's some other people that aren't so, other people that aren't so expected. I think about this one guy named Mitch, and he would, you know, he would every week be at small group, but never really show much in terms of spiritual desire. He would always, you know, he grew up Catholic and would always be talking about, we would share prayer requests. Other people are sharing about their heart and sharing about their struggles. He's always like, pray for Mr. and Mrs. Shovlin. And I was like, who who in the world are these people? And I never knew who they were, but every week, week after week, he prayed for, asked for prayer for Mr. and Mrs. Shovlin. And I was like, all right, whatever. And found out later about three years ago, he entered in the ministry and is serving in a youth ministry in Atlanta, Georgia realizing that our labor in the Lord, God never forgets anything that we offer to him. There's a guy named Fred, a guy named Fred Porter. He's half African-American, half Korean. And, and at times, just I remember investing into his life and praying for him and, and meeting up with him and just realizing that as I'm doing this, I felt like he's getting further and further away from God. You know, if there's anything that tells you that makes you feel like your labor in God is not being, is not being honored, is being wasted, this would be the guy. And he was just constantly just uh, doing all of these things and becoming more and more uh, going the ways of the world. And for entire time that I was in college, uh, that I was with him, just never coming back to, to the Lord. And he was just involved in all this, this parting lifestyle and things like that. And, and just find out, he, he emailed me about five years ago. And he's like, hey, you know what? I just wanted to let you know that I gave my life to the Lord. And, and my life has been changed. I'm going into seminary. And I'm just all fired up to, to give my life to the Lord. He's serving in, in one of the, 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 the most uh, influential churches, Korean churches in Philadelphia now. And I realize all over again that our labor in the Lord is never wasted. God never forgets anything that we do for him. He never forgets. He never forgets any of that stuff. I think about other people. I think about, uh, I think about this one guy. He, was, uh, he grew up in, uh, a year older than me in, in the youth ministry that I grew up in and, and was, was uh, just an older brother, just seemed like he was living for God, then went off to college, just fell off the deep end, involved in all kinds of, uh, of drugs and all kinds of partying and, and just the wrong group of friends. And I remember one time he came to, to visit me at UVA and, and he was a year older and just living that kind of a lifestyle. And, and me and this one other guy said, hey, let's just let, let's pray together. And we prayed and we prayed. And he said, you know, I haven't prayed like that in, in years. He went off and, and just started doing the, the, the same old thing that he did as if nothing happened. I remember thinking about him and, and praying for him. And this last time I went up to Virginia uh, for, for uh, Tim Ahn's wedding, I was speaking at uh, this, this youth group. And, and, and this guy, Peter, was the one who introduced me as the one who brought about uh, so much influence in his life. His life was completely transformed. He was serving faithfully. He was thinking about going into ministry, but he feels now like I, I, my, best, my best thing is just to serve in the workplace, in the marketplace. And he's one of the most faithful and devoted youth teachers in my home church, serving over 50 students there. 
And he was the one who had, I was privileged to be introduced by him as he shared. I realized that God never wastes anything that we do. We don't see the fruit right away. That same weekend I was up there and I was, uh, after the wedding, uh, there was a reception and there's a dance floor and everybody was out there getting jiggy with it. And I was standing on the edge of the dance floor watching the Cupid shuffle or whatever it was. And, and this guy comes up to me and he's like, hey, uh, Pastor DL. I looked at him and I, I, I recognized him. What's going on, man? He's like, do you remember me? I said, of course I do. And he said, uh, this, is, this is my wife. I, I forget his wife's name. He said, this is my wife. And, and then he, he just was, was silent for a little bit. And he's like, do you, remember, do you remember that time when I was in high school? And um, you came over to me at that retreat. And you shared the gospel with me and you prayed for me. And I, wanted to, I wanted to tell you that I always tell my wife that that was a moment that my life was changed. I could have gone the other way. But in that moment, I gave my life to the Lord. And I always tell my wife that it was that prayer that changed my life forever. And I want to say thanks. So I said, uh, I wasn't really going to do the Cupid shuffle. So let's, uh, let's sit down and, and talk a little bit. And just realizing that our labor in the Lord is never in vain. It's never in vain. Every prayer that you pray, it's never wasted. No matter how broken you are, no matter how messed up you are, nothing that you do for the Lord is ever in vain. And that when, you, when, you, when you pray for somebody, when you, when you share the gospel with somebody and they feel like they're so antagonistic to you, when you stay up late at night at a retreat talking to somebody, when you wake up early in the morning talking to somebody, when you listen to someone who's down in the dumps, whatever you do for the glory of God, whatever you do for the Lord, he never wastes it, he never forgets it, he never forgets it. He says, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And he says, you need to believe this, people of God. You need to believe this. Don't waste your year in frivolous pursuits. Give it to the Lord. Give it to him. And then the last thing that we see, last thing that we see, to do great things later, I'd be faithful in the little things now. To do great things later, be faithful in the little things now. I think this is so, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. When we see the, your labor in the Lord is not in vain, he's not just talking about the big things that you do. But Jesus would oftentimes, would oftentimes say, uh, when you're faithful with a little, you'll be entrusted with much. Uh, you want to do great things for God later, then you need to begin here and now. Being faithful in the little things that God has called you to be. We all, uh, you all know that uh, Disney's a magical place, right? I just realized this recently. We have um, a guy who sometimes comes to our, uh, comes to the Middle East House Church. His name is Michael, um, and he worked at Disney for some time. And sometimes he would be telling us stories of, of things that happen at Disney. As he's recalling the story. He's recalling conversations that he has. And then he would say at the end, he says, so I said to them, have a magical day. And I remember the first time I heard that thinking to myself, have a magical day? Who talks like that? And then he, he said, and then another customer came in, and even though I was having a bad day, I wanted to do my best to help them have the best day that they can. And so after they left, I said to them, have a magical day. I was like, are you serious? Uh, you may say that to one person, but you say that to more than one person? Have a magical day? Well, 
We had another gal who was an intern at, at, at Disney. Her name was Emma. And one time she was telling me, you know, all the great things that God's doing in her life. And she's like, yeah, I'm so blessed by our house church and by uh, being here and on, on Sundays to worship together. And at the end of the time, she's like, pray for me, pray for my fiance, pray for my family and all this stuff. And at the end of the email, she wrote, Pastor DL, have a magical day. I was like, what? <laughs> another one. And then I read, oh, okay, okay. This is like, we have three interns at Disney, right? They're going to be leaving as she did last Sunday. Um, you guys say that? Have a magical day? Okay, so it's, all, so it's a very magical place. <laughs> so I, I was reading the other day, and I found out why Disney is such a magical place. Okay, they say the magic of the magic kingdom is that every person in their orientation is taught that you treat everybody as if they're your master and you're the servant. Okay, in this kingdom, the way to have magic is if you serve. Right? Somebody comes in, you serve them as if they were your personal guest. Someone asks you a question, even though they ask it 100 times, you answer it as if it was your first time hearing that question asked. So there's a ride. I don't think it's in this Disney world here, but in California, Disneyland, there's a ride called the Jungle Cruise. Anyone ride the Jungle Cruise before? Okay, Jason. Oh, you have it here? Okay. So you have it here. This story happened in, in Disneyland, but there's this guy... He was working the line. He was the attendant at the Jungle Cruise in Disneyland. And the question that everyone asks the Jungle Cruise is, how long is this? And the answer that you're supposed to give is, the Jungle Cruise is this exciting river adventure that lasts 10 minutes. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to say. And in order to have people have a magical day, you have to say that to the 300th person the same way you say that to the first person. How long is this? The Jungle Cruise is an exciting river adventure that lasts 10 minutes. So there's this guy, apparently he was fed up with it. Okay, people had asked him all day long, and he was having a bad day. And so they said, how long is a jungle, jungle cruise? And he said, three hours. No, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He said, three days, right, three days. So this couple got out of line. They're on their honeymoon, okay? They got out of line, went to their hotel, checked out of their Disney hotel, packed up their luggage, and brought their luggage to the jungle cruise. That guy wasn't there anymore. They got there the next day, and they heard this guy saying, the Jungle Cruise is an exciting river adventure that lasts 10 minutes. <laughs> Sometimes we approach our work in this way, don't we? I hate going to work. I hate going to school. I hate all this stuff. Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that? And, and we, we act as if it's the worst thing ever. I think if there's something that, that Jesus would say to us, it would be if you want to do great things for God later, you want to go to the mission field. You want to do all of these things. You've got to be faithful now in the little things. Okay, you need to be faithful here in the little things. Why would we think, if we're thinking with a kingdom perspective, why in the world would we be in Spanish class? Okay? Why in the world would we be in Spanish class and studying, and then we get an A on our report card. We just kind of like fudge our way through it. We cheat off of our friends, whatever it is. We, we just get our conjugations down so that we can pass the test and get all A's in four years in Spanish and then go down to the mission field and completely butcher the Spanish language. You remember in Braveheart, I, I don't know why, anyone who's ever watched Braveheart makes you want to speak with a Scottish accent, right? I'm not going to do it because I got a lot of heat for it last time, but <laughs> there's, a, there's a time where... In the beginning where Hamish and, 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 and William Wallace are throwing stones. You remember this part? And, and uh, Wallace throws it, and then Hamish throws it even further. And then Wallace says, um, but can you do it when it matters? <laughs> and I'm thinking of it with a Scottish accent, so I'm trying to translate it into regular English. And he says, 
yeah, and then William Wallace basically says, but can you do it? Can you do it when it matters? Can you do it in the field of battle? And he says, yeah, I can do it. And he's like, I can, I can crush you. I can crush you like a worm. You remember this part? And William Wallace says, oh, can you? Can you? So he says to the crowd, he's like, hey, would you, would you like to see him crush me like a worm? And they're like, yeah, yeah, aye, and they're applauding. And so Wallace stands back, and, and Hamish throws a rock, and it misses him. And then Wallace takes a rock, and he throws it, and it's his head, right? And he's like, oh, my head hurts. And he's like, oh, it's good to see you, old buddy. And it's this, like, great moment. But I think that question is so important. It's so important. Right, you can do all of these things here, but can you do it when it matters? You can get an A on Spanish, but what if it doesn't matter when you're trying to communicate the gospel to somebody in a language that's not your own? Can you do it when it matters? Could it be that God has you in these classes, not just for you to get an A so you can make it into college, but because there's someone with whom you have a divine appointment in the Dominican Republic or in Ecuador, someone who needs to know the gospel, and you in that moment may be the only person to be able to share in Spanish with that person the hope of Christ. Could it be that we're, we're here for so much more than, than, than just to get our education? That the reason you decided to take Chinese or to take Mandarin and, is because one day God could call you to go out to China. Yesterday, uh, one of our, our guys, Paul, we were talking, um, we were sharing a couple days at our prayer retreat, and he was like, you know, I'm praying that, you know, God, what do you want me to do with my engineering degree? There's got to be a purpose. Right, what do you want me to do? What is my calling as it relates to this engineering thing? Maybe you know, he was talking about how, how, past, uh, how um, our worker in the Middle East said the other, the other week, yeah, you don't have to be a missionary. Just take what you do with, with excellence and go out to, to these countries. And, and there's a great role and there's a great opportunity for you. And let's think with a broader kingdom perspective and be faithful in the little things. Right, what makes us think we'll be faithful to God then if we're not faithful now? I was sharing with our, with our missions team on Tuesday, the team that went in, 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 in the winter this past, you know, a few weeks ago, and talking about how nothing that we ever do, that everything that we do, everything that you do right now is preparing you for something greater in terms of your act of service before God. Okay, do you, do you get this? Understand this, that everything you're doing right now, everything in your life is preparing you for a greater act of service that God has in store for you. Now, thinking about how... Uh, uh, one of our guys, Andres Park, he grew up in Bolivia, grew up in South America. And even before he was ever a Christian, someone found him off the street and said, hey, you go. There's a, there's a preacher from Korea or something, and you need to translate. And before he was ever a follower of Jesus Christ, he had experience in translating a sermon. So that now he goes to the mission field, and he's the one who is so valuable out there because he can translate and is able to communicate the gospel to people, is able to be at everyone's beck and call, say, hey, I need you to translate something. And it's no accident that God raised him in Bolivia, raised him in South America to learn the language so that for the sake of the lost and for the glory of God amongst the nations, he can live. It's no accident that, that one day Brother KJ, uh, uh, Joseph and Tico's dad, decided to become a veterinarian to learn. And then one day he heard a, this missionary from Guatemala talking about what he does with goats and cows. And, and, and somehow he just tucked it in the back of his mind. And then after his son passes away, he recalls this person and he sends an email and he says, hey, I, I want to I connect with you. I want to learn about these things that you're doing. And, and this guy says, yeah, I'll come to your church. And so a couple months ago, he came and he spoke and, and KJ was all inspired. and was all excited. And he's going to go to Guatemala next month. And then he's going to go and he's going to build uh, the kingdom of God through this ministry there. It's no accident. It's no accident that that's a crying need in the people of Ecuador in that region. 
It's no accident that, that God took someone like Chase Lee and, and, and made him into a Taekwondo master, martial arts master, that he can go to Ecuador and he can kick and he can punch and he can teach these people. And all these people could come so that they could hear the message of the gospel and come back to that church. Nothing that we do is wasted and everything that we do is preparing us for some greater act of service in the future. Be faithful now, my friends. That's how you know that God's going to use you in the future. To take someone like Hannah, and she's graduating from high school, and she's like, I don't want to go to college yet. I want to go to cosmetology school. And she learns all of this stuff, and she has this this addiction to nail polish, and she takes it down there. And through that, her and Yoon-young and Sandra begin to beautify the lives of these people. And they begin to experience the joy of being loved and cared for. Because they were faithful and they learned. What if she didn't learn how to do that well? She like jacks up people's hair and she's like all bad. And then she gets down there. And the person that was angry in the picture last week, she didn't cut his hair. It's because somebody maybe wasn't faithful. Just kidding. But because she was faithful here, she was able to be faithful there. See, God doesn't waste any of that stuff. The guy that we met who's going to be our inroads into these goat ministry is a guy named Gonzalo. And he went to school, agricultural school, especially specifically so that he could learn how to raise goats and go back to his village in the northern part of Ecuador and sustain, uh, create sustainability there so that he could one day go off to seminary and then start a church in his area where it's so desperately needed. But along the way, along the way as he's studying this and being faithful in that, God drops him into the lap of Pastor Henry Burbano and he connects him with us. And because of that, we realize this unfolding of a sovereign plan that is far bigger than anything that we could have ever seen. If after a year of going down to Ecuador, after a year of Yunju leaving, we said, you know what? There's no fruit. There's nothing. It was a good trip for us to see and experience. We're not going to go back. Then we would have never begun to experience the transformation that God is doing in our lives, individually, communally, but also in the lives of people in Ecuador. Nothing that we do is wasted. It's never in vain. Hey, you want to waste your life here? Go ahead, do it. Don't do it on my watch, but go ahead and do it by living for things that don't really matter. I do it for, I, you know, I, I love Pastor Albert. The fact that he, he said, you know what? This year, I'm not going to play fantasy basketball because who gives a rip about me winning a fantasy basketball trophy at the end of the day? Who cares about that? What does that really matter in the grand scheme of things? That you're so fixated upon it that in every meeting that you go to, as soon as church is done, that's all you're doing is checking your stuff. That's a fast track to a wasted life, my friends. And anyone who studies English realizes that verse 58 comes after a long section. It says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What does that mean? Why, why, what, is it, what's it there for? what is this building off of? He says it's building off of the gospel. That all of chapter 15 says, you know what? If the gospel is not true, then you don't have to do anything. All of this doesn't make any sense. It's worthless. It's meaningless. And so is our lives. We saying there is a re- reality that God himself came into our world. His name was Jesus Christ. He came and he was born to a virgin. He lived and he died. On the third day, he rose again. He died for your sins. He died for my sins. He died for the sins of the world, not just for us, but he died for everyone out there. And if we don't, we don't see this, if we don't believe this, we don't understand this, then he'll never push us out. But he's saying, if you get it, 
If you understand the gospel, if it's good enough for you, then you have to understand that it's good enough for a dying world. And you need to go. You need to go. He says, therefore, if you believe the gospel to be true, if you're a follower of Christ, and there are no excuses, there is no other explanation, you need to get up and move and go and do and build the kingdom of God. May this be the year that we begin and never look back because we find that in addition to living in the priorities of God, we see the power of God, but we also feel the pleasure of God as we live in this place of obedience to his glorious call and his will in our lives. Let's pray together. Guys, I'm praying this year would be a year in which more people from our congregation than ever before go to the mission field. Praying that more people than ever would go out and would evangelize and share the gospel with their friends who don't know the Lord Jesus. What do we have to lose? Because what do we have to lose? And what do they have to gain? Jesus Christ, all of him, if he's more than enough for us, then how can we keep silent when others are so desperate for hope and truth and life? What are we waiting for, people of God? Let's go. Let's not waste it. Let's go. We've got work to do. Let's move for the glory of God. Let's spend a few moments in prayer right now. As you maybe examine your priorities and confess that to the Lord. As you think about where you are and how you need to just confess and and surrender to the Lord. Your hopes and your desires. Maybe your, your deepest desire is for security and the comfort of an easy life. I think we all know that whether we follow Jesus or not, life will be hard. But there's nothing better than a life that's lived in surrender to him where the hardship can be redeemed and it makes sense and there's a presence of joy and peace in the midst of it all. Let's spend a few moments. Maybe some of you, the Lord Jesus may be convicting you to say, hey, you know what? Push yourself a little bit. Let's get out. Let's get out. Go. This summer, this spring, go. Go to China. Go to North Korea. Go to the DR. Go to Ecuador. Go on on an edge mission trip through Pioneers. Go. Just get out and go and experience. Let Jesus rock your world as you get out of your comfort zone. Let's take a a minute or two right now just to respond to the Lord, respond to his word. Let's pray, God, I need you. I need you. Help me, help me, help me. I don't have it all together. In fact, so much more of my life is broken than right. But God, if you would take my life, if you would take my life, here I am. Use me, use me for things that matter. Let's pray together. Shit.
Jesus, sweet and precious Savior, we thank you that you did live and you did die for our sins and for the sins of the world who would believe in you. Thank you that you rose again victorious so that we would have victory over sin and our brokenness, our failure and our temptation. Thank you that we are victors and more than conquerors through Jesus, you who loved us. And if that's true, then may we stand firm. May we let nothing move us. May we as a community of faith, may we as harvest, may we as individuals always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord because that's the one thing in life that's never in vain. Move within us and stir us, O God. Remind us what good is it for us to gain the whole world and yet forfeit our soul, but that we would gladly lay down our lives for you, that others may find it, that we might find it in the end. We thank you. We love you because you've given yourself in love to us first. Pray these things in Jesus' name.